Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're talking today about what I find is really a truly fascinating subject. It's something that I think you'll be able to connect with regardless of what your background is. It's something that people throughout indigenous communities have held in high esteem, but, well, honestly, it's something that seemingly every person in every culture holds esteem. Well, maybe not every person, but at least every culture I'm speaking about a topic that really was something that's on my mind because of a YouTube video. That's right, something that I was recently watching. This YouTube video was speaking about, well, let me give you the title. The Singing Brain, Being Fully Human. The speaker was a gentleman by the name of John Lennox. He's an emeritus professor of mathematics at Oxford University in the U.K., and he really got me thinking about this amazing aspect of humanity that it seems like every culture, whether it's Native American communities or anywhere else on planet Earth, seems to value art, things like music, th things like singing. To help us in the dialogue today is my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. Sonia, it's great to have you with us in the studio. Thank you. Great to be here with you. Sonia, a lot of folks uh, know of you. You have been on the show with me before. In fact, I was uh, talking with a listener recently who said, oh, I really like it when you and your wife do programs together, answering questions. Well, Sonia was gracious enough to join me for today's interview. It's not a question and answer program, but we'll be talking about this uh, topic together. But Sonia, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your professional background. I grew up in the Midwest, and I am also a family physician by training. So you've got a medical background, as I do, and we're coming to address a topic that really has to do with the arts. And to me, what's so fascinating about the topic is, you know, you go throughout Indian country, and you'll just see amazing things that we would label art, whether it's beautiful blankets, whether it's pottery, whether it's weaving, whether it's beadwork. And you could have that dialogue about any other culture. You talk about music, whether you're at a powwow, you talk about the value that drummers are held, the kind of esteem that they're given in Indian country. And the list could go on and on. I think of amazing flute players in Indian country that I've had the privilege of meeting, uh, some of which we've even featured on this uh, broadcast. But this is not unique in North American indigenous peoples. Sonia, you've traveled different places in the world. Tell us, do you find art, music everywhere you've been? No matter where you go, you will find music and art. We've been around the world in many places, and like you said, I think it's in pretty much every culture. So why is this? That's the question. And no matter what explanations you may try to bring to bear as far as why we're here and what gives human life meaning, it really makes us look seriously about what is it about our humanity that has us uh, connecting with the arts in such a powerful way. Now, I've got to talk about a second stream of influence 
that has uh, stimulated this show, and it has to do with another project that I'm working on with a sister organization called Timeless Healing Insights. You've heard us speak about Timeless Healing Insights. Sonia, for some of the folks who don't know how to find the variety of resources we have under Timeless Healing Insights on the web, how would they do that? Simply go to www.timelesshealinginsights.org. Once again, that is www.timelesshealinginsights.org. So T-I-M-E-L-E-S-S-H-E-A-L-I-N-G I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S dot org. Okay, so many of you know about that website. We offer free 30-day lifestyle programs. A number of you have engaged with that. We have a weight loss program that we call Fast 8. Again, all free. Weekly TV show. You can also access American Indian and Alaska Native Living via that website. That's not the main website for the show. You'll hear that later on as we go out for the break. But the point is we've got this platform where we're putting out free educational materials. And the latest project we're doing is one where we're looking at a book that has been held in esteem for centuries. It's not a Native American book, but many of my friends who are Native Americans relate to this book. Others don't just in uh, full disclosure, but it is actually a book known as the Book of Psalms. And uh, we started a dialogue discussion platform where Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I and other discussants, other leaders, we're actually walking through these ancient, uh, what are believed to be hymns uh, or songs or poems and engaging with themes that I believe definitely uh, cross cultural lines, just like the whole discussion about music and art. If you want to join that discussion, you've heard Sonia give the website, TimelessHealingInsights.org. You could just go there, click on the series Healing Insights from the Book of Psalms, and you can join us for those weekly discussions. You can actually listen to the archives there as well. But um, if you want just a direct web link, um, TimelessHealingInsights.org slash Psalms, that's P-S-A-L-M-S. So you say, okay, well, what does all this have to do with a topic that I believe is potentially transformative for those of you tuning in today? Let me go back a little bit in history, and, and Sonia, you and I have spoken some about this, but the book that people refer to as the Book of Psalms today had a different name in the Hebrew tongue. And uh, we're not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew word, but what did the title of the book actually mean? The original Hebrew title of the book means praises. So why this is interesting to me is because we're speaking about things that are valued cross-culturally. And here's the interesting thing to me. Whether it's at a funeral, whether it's a a wedding, whether it's a powwow, whether it's a, a festival of some other sort, whether it's just people in their homes, people gathered together, music is often a part of many of those settings. It may be assumed to be part of uh, one or more of those settings in your culture. And what's interesting is often, if you think about it, one of the things that's been incorporated into song are praises, rejoicing. 
what's interesting about the medical literature today is there's this compelling connection between things like praising, giving thanks, gratitude, and health outcomes. Sonia, you and I were speaking about a recent review article. It appeared actually in the Journal of Occupational Health, and uh, they came to a conclusion that many other researchers have come to. Why don't you just share that with us today? Sure. I'll just read a, a quote from that study. Many studies have demonstrated the positive moderate to large associations between gratitude and well-being, such as positive affect, happiness, and life satisfaction. So what these authors are saying in so many words is they're saying basically, make sure, make sure that you're including gratitude in your life. Make sure you're doing things like praising. And it doesn't matter uh, in this research whether it's coming from a, a spiritual perspective or not. I'm not saying that's unimportant in the grand scheme of things, but we're looking at these elements that transcend cultural lines. We're saying, why? So why would cultures sing? Why would they value art? Why would they value beauty? Uh, Lennox, the mathematician, uh, makes a case for how the brain is wired, the structure of the brain. But we're looking at some of the reasons downstream, what benefits happen when we praise, when we engage in gratitude. In the context of the book of Psalms, if any of you are familiar with those 150 chapters, 150 psalms or songs, it's interesting structurally, although the psalms have many places where they're speaking about difficult things, some are even called psalms of lament, something happens as you progress through the book. Sonia, you and I have spoken about this. As you get, especially toward the end of the book of Psalms, what happens? Yeah, especially towards the last third of the book of Psalms, there is a special emphasis on just praise, uh, pure praise. Yeah, there's this, this, this concept of praising, this concept of gratitude seems to be woven into these ancient songs. And uh, the message that I'd like you to, to take away at this point in the, in the presentation is if song, if gratitude is not a part of your life, this is something that has profound health benefits. Whether you come at it from the perspective of the book of Psalms, whether you come at it from the singing brain as Lennox presented it, this is something powerful and transformative. I want to talk with you about an example of just how powerful this is. This is a study that was uh, published a while ago, and uh, the researchers identified 111 people that uh, were over 60 years of age, and they were going to do something interesting with them. They were going to give them a savoring intervention, and uh, savoring and cultivating gratitude uh, in some circles, synonymous. But, Sonia, if we were to give a medical definition of this concept of savoring, what would it be? Okay, so here's one definition, which was actually listed in the Journal of Applied Gerontology. Savoring is the ability to focus one's attention on positive experiences and to modify one's thoughts and behaviors in ways that intensify and prolong positive feelings. So think about this. You're savoring something. You're enjoying something, but you're not just enjoying it. It's, it's immersing yourself more in the experience. So if someone says, 
you know, there was some traditional native dish that was prepared at the powwow, and you were just really enjoying that. You were savoring it. Sonia, what would that mean in light of this definition, if someone really was using that word the same way the researchers use it? Well, you could just think about how delicious that food was, how it tasted, how it maybe brought back happy memories of another experience in your life. Just dwelling on that and then maybe sharing with others how much that meant to you or how much you enjoyed that. So savoring is extremely powerful. And in that uh, same paper that shared that definition that Sonia shared is where these researchers reported on just what I was beginning to tell you, 111 adults, age 60 and older, they actually gave them a one-week savoring intervention where they were basically teaching them to kind of enhance their enjoyment, enhance their gratitude when it comes to experiences in their life. And Sonia, what was especially, I think, remarkable to both of us as we've talked about this study is when they follow these people after just one week of training them to focus more on gratitude, focus more on savoring, there was a dramatic change over three months in a number of outcomes. What all did they find? It was really pretty amazing uh, because they noticed that over the next three months, these people had decreased depressive symptoms, increased happiness, and improvements in resilience just from that one week of savoring intervention. So you look at this research and you say, well, what's going on? Well, the authors commented on it, and they said basically what they did, if you're you know, having a question like, what does this one-week intervention look like? First of all, what they did, they said people can savor more by increasing thoughts and behaviors that actually amplify positive feelings, such as, now listen to the examples they use, memory building and counting blessings. Secular Research Journal. So I know sometimes that language you would think should be reserved for spiritual discussions, but counting blessings. And I would say, as we talk about the singing brain and often the themes of songs, sure, there's many a sad song out there, but uh, we're talking about something that focuses us on the positive things in life. We're going to talk more about art, about music, about song, how it can transform your well-being. We've got more coming up right after these important messages. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay by. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA service center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Sonia DeRose. We're speaking about the arts and brain health. We started by speaking about some of the uh, amazing connections cross-culturally between, well, just art and people, whether it's uh, things that you think in terms of creating with your hands, whether it's music, things that are sound. These things have been held in high esteem across cultural lines, whether you're in the continent of Africa, whether you're in Asia, whether you're in Europe. Whether you're an indigenous person in North America, Alaska Native, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, the list goes on and on. Music and the arts seem to be everywhere in every culture. And so the question is why? And so we're starting to look at this. Uh, We're also looking in the context of a current ongoing weekly series that I am uh, helping to host. It takes place Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a live Zoom-based discussion group. We're talking about one of the uh, great uh, lyrics of a hymn book. That's what some people have called it, the Book of Psalms. If that's something that engages with you and you're looking to uh, engage with people about the arts, this is uh, one option. There's many options. You can connect with our option at Timeless Healing Insights. But Sonia, we were speaking about some interesting research looking at amplifying positive feelings, savoring thoughts, focusing on the positive and how that transforms health. What is so interesting to me is health is transformed through the arts, not only by things like this, but if we were to use the example of music in most cultures, and let's just maybe stop right here and um, 
think about your last experience at a powwow if you're not native and that's a foreign concept to you. Think about hearing a choir or going to a concert or some event where there was music, where there were drums, where there were instrumental music, whatever type of music you can relate to. And one of the interesting things that I'm finding about the book of Psalms is it seems to connect us with community. And Sonia, you have looked at this uh, question with me. 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. Other people would say 150 psalms or songs. And what's so interesting, as you and I have spoken about it, about the organization of psalms from this standpoint of community? Really, from the beginning to the end of the book, psalms emphasizes community In the very first psalm, the followers of God are contrasted with those who don't follow him. And there it talks about the faithful are together in a congregation or assembly. So it's connecting them in community, not just alone with God. And like Sonia mentioned, it's not just as that book starts, as you read the last couple chapters of that book. I mean, the last chapter of Psalms, and we'll read it. I mean, and again, this may or may not speak to you in your current cultural context, but I'm giving an example from one cultural context. You know, granted, the book of Psalms originated from the Middle East, you would say from a Middle Eastern cultural context, but put this in whatever context you would like if it's not part of your faith tradition or from your cultural outlook. And I'm just going to read this psalm for you. And again, we're asking the question about community, Does this draw you into community? And especially since we're speaking about the arts, do you see reference here to the arts of any type? Psalm 150, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So, first obvious question, Sonia, and this is not to insult your intelligence or the intelligence of any of my listeners, but is it clear in this psalm that there is being a reference to at least something in the realm of what we would call the arts. Yes, definitely. It's uh, referring to a lot of uh, music, but not just music singly. It's referring to multiple different musical instruments and uh, gives the sense of community, of praising God together. So what I hear you saying is, if you're reading a description here in Psalm 150, you're saying, boy, this sounds a lot like some kind of an orchestra, you don't just have an orchestra with a single individual. So it almost implies in Psalm 150, or you could say it definitely implies that it's talking about community coming together and making music. Is that fair enough? Definitely. So let's say you might say, well, that might be a stretch. I don't see a a real call in those words to have community praising or reflecting with gratitude on things in your experience, then just go a psalm back. And if you want it to be explicit, Psalm 149, verse 1, is such an explicit psalm. Yes, and that says, 
Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. That's NIV. And King James says his praise in the congregation of saints. So what we're saying is not only do we see in the book of Psalms this call to connect us with whatever cultural background you come from, this aspect of giving gratitude, and especially we're seeing in the context of song. We'll deepen this connection a little bit, but we're saying, I mean, this is fascinating to me because, again, you may be listening, you may say, hey, the Bible, that's a foreign thing, and maybe even distancing, and many of you who are regular listeners to the show, we've had dialogues about this, the fact that many First Nation peoples today in North America, they may embrace religious backgrounds that would value what we would call today the Bible. But to others, that is just something that's not only foreign, it may be uh, something that's um, upsetting because they connect people who said they believe that book with those who oppressed them, with those who uh, tried to rob them of their culture, force them into boarding schools. I mean, the list could go on and on, and, you know, discussions that we've had. But my whole point is, regardless of where you come from with any culture, you could join me today if we had an open line, and I would love to have had this dialogue. I wish we had that platform on this show, uh, but I would welcome it on our Tuesday night meetings. If some of you who are tuning into this program, and uh, when we have these sessions, these live sessions, Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m., although we're... Um, Going through the book of Psalms, I would love people from indigenous backgrounds to say, you know, uh, I don't value, you know, Psalm 150 or any of the Psalms, but let me tell you, you know, what we believe in the Chickasaw Nation or what Navajo culture tells us or being raised in an Onondaga family. This is our perspective. So you understand what I'm saying. My point is, is we're connecting with something that this is a, a written document that people have engaged with throughout the planet is is why I find it interesting. People from different cultural backgrounds have related to this, whether they call themselves Jewish or Christian, or they said, I'm just reading this book for cultural awareness, to basically increase my uh, cultural literacy. And the book of Psalms is basically connecting us with music, and it's connecting us with community. Now, to Bring that to a medical level, Sonia, is where we want to go with this because there's really a lot being written about community and the healing properties that come from community. Tell us a little bit from your perspective because you've worked with patients with all kinds of medical conditions. How important is it for you as a physician? If you're dealing with a patient who's got a serious illness, do you really care if a person has close social connections or not? Does it make a difference to you? It makes a huge difference. Many studies have shown this, that people who have very good support systems actually do much better, medically speaking, even with uh, serious terminal diagnoses like breast cancer, for instance. Studies have shown that those who have good social support systems do much better and live longer than those who are isolated or alone. So we're talking, when you say breast cancer, of course, many types of breast cancer, many stages, very treatable, but you're talking about people with terminal breast cancer. 
correct, like stage four, where it's metastasized and it's a terminal condition, but uh, still those people, when they have a good support system, have been shown to actually, as I recall, live twice as long as their peers in the same medical situation who were isolated or alone. So this is the amazing thing as I look at this, you know, we speak about a singing brain or a brain that is tied to the arts or, or how the arts, how culture interfaces with brain health. And it pulls us not just into a discussion about how our individual brain works, but it talks about collective society. Because if you think about it, um, if you think about it, most art is done with a mind to the collective eye, the collective ear. We want to speak about that a little bit more when we come back. Other, what I believe are life-changing insights from the arts and your brain. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose, will be back with more on today's edition of the broadcast right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about the arts, culture, and your brain. Optimal brain health, optimal, well, total health. And what we've been observing is that whether you're from Native American roots, whether you relate to an indigenous people group here in North America or beyond, it seems that the arts cut across those cultural lines. And one of the things we've been observing is that often we develop the capacity to savor, to especially enjoy aspects that we would attribute to the arts. If you're just joining us, let me give you another medical definition of savoring. Savoring has been associated with better mental health outcomes. Savoring has been defined as the capacity to attend to, appreciate, and enhance the positive experiences in one's life. Sonia, you've been with us from the top of the hour. I'm speaking with my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. You've been reflecting on this theme with us. As you look at different cultures throughout the world, we see people savoring things. What kind of things do you find people savoring? Well, that could include any number of things. Family time, uh, experiences with friends, pets, special foods. There are multitudes of things. Concerts, family gatherings, uh, many things. So, as you point out, you don't have to associate savoring with something relating to the arts. Of course, you know, you mentioned music, but it could be family gatherings. We could have said nature. You know, you mentioned pets or companion animals. So clearly, we could savor multiple things. You mentioned eating, but, you know, eating's an interesting one. We could savor an apple or a squash or corn or something that is grown and we could say, you know, that's a gift of the Creator, but we could also value a dish. Maybe it's a native dish that our grandmother always prepared, and we could savor that. So part of that is the art of cooking, as well as uh, just eating of a food. That's very true. Other things you could savor are times out in nature, being in the mountains, or at the beach, or any number of natural settings, or even going to a museum that has uh, great paintings uh, depicting some of these things. There are just a multitude of ways and things to savor. But the interesting thing about many of these aspects, and I appreciate how you bridge that in that last comment, is often things that we savor in nature, we incorporate into art. And we see this, of course, in Indian country. We see it you know, cross-culturally often the imagery in certain types of art. Maybe it is geometric. Uh, maybe you could think of some you know, beautiful pottery piece that you have, native pottery piece or native weaving or beadwork that is more geometric, we would say. But you may have other things where there's the image of something in nature. There's a fish or an eagle or something that has been incorporated into that work of art. So, Sonia, we're speaking about savoring and the fact that if we increase our appreciation for these things, it can increase our sense of well-being, how we feel, how we perform. And there's an interesting aspect to this, and that is we were speaking about the positive benefits of savoring, but there's things that can interfere with the ability to savor. And uh, researchers have written about this as well. 
Give us a little bit of window onto that. Yes, dampening responses, things that decrease our ability to savor, are things such as distraction and fault-finding. These have been associated with greater depressive symptoms, lower positive affect, and lower life satisfaction. So these dampening behaviors that Sonia is mentioning, this would be, for example, focusing on flaws or thinking about how the experience could be better. So in other words, if someone gives you some native jewelry and you're just marveling at the turquoise and the silver or whatever, the, but you say, but you know, they didn't make this quite right or something, or if my father had done it, he would have done a little different design on this. So you can depreciate your ability to savor whatever it is that you're talking about by looking at the flaws or looking at the problems, as Sonia mentioned, fault-finding. So with that in mind, I want to have us walk you through a savoring intervention, just like uh, researchers Smith and Haney did in the Journal of Applied Gerontology. Sonia referred to this uh, 2019 medical journal earlier in the show. We want to tell you, what did they do for a week? What kind of things did they train people to do that were associated with them having better mental health outcomes over the course of three months. Remember, just a one-week intervention, what specifically were they doing? So, Sonia, what kind of steps were involved in them helping these individuals, 60 years of age and older, appreciate things more, have more of an ability to savor things? Yeah, so these participants were encouraged to focus more on positive experiences using three steps. The first step was to think of something positive, for instance, something good that's happening right now, or a pleasant memory, or something positive that you're anticipating will happen in the future. Well, let's just pause there just for a minute. If you're tuning in right now, we want to encourage you to do this. As Sonia's walking you through these steps, we want you to go through this savoring activity. So her first aspect that she shared with you is think of something positive. And like she said, it can be in the past, can be happening this minute, can be in the future, something you're anticipating. So think of something positive. Are there any questions that would be helpful? Ask yourself, what is it about this experience that you find so enjoyable? Okay, so do you got that? You're thinking of something right now, whether you're driving, whether you're listening to this show while you're working around the house, whatever it might be. Think of something positive and you're focused on why it's positive, why you're enjoying it. What happens from there, Sonia? What was the next step in this savoring process, this savoring intervention that they were teaching? So after you've thought of a positive experience, then notice the positive feelings that occur when you think about that experience. Were they feelings of amusement or of interest, excitement, contentment? Just dwell on the thoughts and experiences that your emotions that you're having while thinking about that experience. So this is really critical. So it's not just what you're experiencing. It's not just thinking about something positive, but it's really immersing yourself in it. It's really dwelling on it. Uh, as you pointed out, you're really trying to to think about that experience. What is it? Not just calling it to mind, but, but what are you feeling as you're going through it? And then there was a third step, and what did that involve? 
So after you've done those first two things, then take a moment to appreciate the experience. Think about how special that experience is or was and how grateful you are for it. So the crazy thing is, if you do this on a regular basis, it is going to help you, is what the research suggests, to have a better outlook, a more positive outlook, less depression. It's amazing. And what's so interesting is we've been telling you about the background for this is I've gotten really excited about this topic because of at least two streams of thought that have been joining in my mind. You know, one was a presentation I referenced earlier in the show by a mathematician by the name of John Lennox, associated with Oxford University in the United Kingdom. And the other is actually a series that we have launched that we're calling Healing Insights from the Book of Psalms. And I'll mention that again in a few minutes. But that book, that Book of Psalms, this hymnal, if you will, this songbook of 150 songs is tied in many places to this theme of praise. We've, we've talked about that. And when you're focused on praising, especially when you're immersing yourself in a musical experience, you are strengthening these positive emotions and you're making a difference as far as your whole person health. Now, Sonia, we spoke about another aspect to all of this discussion, and it had to do with the aspect of community. And we want to come back to that because I think there's some powerful associations there as well. One of the observations that we made when we were speaking about the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, is that it seems to have been designed to have been read in a community setting. It was not something that was to be uh, uh, just read by individuals. And to me, that is really something um, actually quite sobering. We're going to look at savoring in action in one of the Psalms, and um, I think we'll see how this uh, all comes together. We're going to look at the third Psalm. Uh, it is one of the Psalms that has a preface or kind of an introduction to it. And how does that preface read if you're just to open up the pages of the Psalms? It says, it's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Now, you may or may not know the story, but uh, David is king in Jerusalem at the point this story takes place. His son, uh, extremely good-looking young man by the name of Absalom, the scriptures actually say, comment on his good looks. He seems to be, from many assessments, the one ideally suited to inherit the throne. When David uh, leaves the scene, when he dies, as, as typically was the case when transitions would take place in that culture, but Absalom does not seem to be content with that scenario, and in fact, he ends up um, basically staging a coup. His father David is driven from Jerusalem, driven from the temple, and David is actually writing this psalm when he's fleeing from this son who has betrayed him. And how does the psalm begin, Sonia? Maybe you could actually read from Psalm 3 for us. It says, Lord, how have they increased who trouble me? Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. So again, whether you are joining us today and you embrace a, a biblical worldview or you're coming from a atheist or agnostic or 
traditional Native background. The point here is not whether you take this psalm at face value as I do, uh, having embraced a Christian tradition. But here's the point. The point is, this is a song being written by someone who's going through adversity in life. Things are really bad. He's a spiritual person who believes in a personal God, and people are saying there's no help for you in God. What to me is remarkable is where the psalm goes from there. Sonia, share with us the next two verses, please. Verses 3 and 4 say, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. So what David is doing, I would suggest to you, is a savoring activity. He's on the run from his son, but he's thinking back on his past. He says, Lord, you've been faithful. You've been my shield. You've held up my head. And he's actually rejoicing in a God who people are telling him doesn't exist or who's forgotten him. And savoring activities can be especially powerful when we're going through some of life's worst adversities. He's putting this all into a community context. If you're not picking up on that, I'm going to tell you why in our final segment and also some very important details about how you can engage with us as far as this content as well, how you can engage with us as far as this content as well as some other life-changing insights. We'll be back with our final segment right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose welcoming you back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We're speaking about the arts and the brain, and we've been looking at it from some interesting perspectives, at least from my vantage point. If you are really engaging with us in the, the full context of where I'm coming from, wonderful. If not, wonderful as well. We value you wherever uh, you're coming to this show with whatever background you have, and we value that background. We've been looking at examples in the ancient book of Psalms. comes out of a, a Middle Eastern culture, and although many First Nation peoples in the Americas have found comfort, encouragement, a call to uh, reflect on their blessings in those uh, pages. Others have not, but that is not the only point we're making. Having said that, if you are wishing that we could dig deeper in this show into the book of Psalms, this really is not the place for it, but we are doing that in a free weekly interactive session. People are joining us from across the country for that. They're sharing their questions, their concerns, giving their input. We'd love to have you be part of the dialogue It takes place on our sister channel, Timeless Healing Insights. If you want to join us, it's 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday nights. runs for an hour from 8 to 9 p.m. You can join us simply by registering at TimelessHealingInsights.org slash psalms. TimelessHealingInsights.org slash psalms. And if you have trouble accessing the program that way, simply go to TimelessHealingInsights.org. First banner you'll see is Healing Insights from the Psalms. Just click on that. You'll be able to register. Get the links to join us on Zoom. It's live interactive sessions, and uh, we would love to have you joining the dialogue. If you don't have the bandwidth for Zoom and just want to catch past episodes, they do get uploaded to YouTube. And if you register, you'll be able to access them through that portal as well. So we're looking at an example from the book of Psalms that I'm suggesting cuts across religious spiritual lines. We're talking about someone who has been mistreated by their own family. Uh, They've been betrayed. This is a theme that uh, people in First Nation communities here in North America I know can relate to. Maybe it's not a family member, but stories of betrayal are rampant throughout Indian country. Often it's betrayal uh, from the majority culture. Promises made, promises not kept. We could go on and on. But um, what do you do in a situation like that? And in Psalm 3, David is praising God anyway. He says, God, you're my protector. You're the one who lifts up my head. You're my shield. Even as he's dealing with adversity. And I'm suggesting that this is in a community context because David is writing this. David is writing this to share it with other people. It's a song that's going to be sung by others. He's sharing his experience. Sonia, we've talked a little bit on this show already about the power of community and how the book of Psalms, although many people read it for personal enrichment, the book of Psalms, the context actually suggests that it was to be read in community. We looked at examples at the beginning and the ending of the Psalms, but it, it permeates this book. It's basically saying this is not a book 
is not a songbook that you're supposed to sing on your own. Give us some other examples from the book of Psalms about this, and then I'm going to expand the dialogue to those of you that say, hey, I'm not even relating to what you're talking about. Just hang in there, because Sonia's going to share, if you relate from the standpoint of the book of Psalms, how does this book tell us it's for community, not just for individuals? An example of that would be in Psalms 22, verses 21 and 22, where it says, You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will appraise you. And then another Psalm 35, verse 18, it says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. I love these examples because what the book of Psalms is saying in so many words is yes, and here's where we're expanding this far beyond this book, gratitude, savoring, counting your blessings, these things are powerful in improving mental health. But there is a special value when we do it in community, when we do it, whether it's in a talking circle, whether it's around a family table, whether it's at a tribal council meeting. When we come together and we can reflect on things that we're grateful for, and this is at the heart of this book of Psalms, where it's saying, we need to do these things together. The psalmist is saying, I'm going to praise in the midst of the assembly. I'm going to praise amid or among many people. On that note, Sonia, there's this interesting dimension to trauma, to adversity. And you and I spoke some about a very interesting concept. I'm just going to give out the medical term, and maybe you can help us break it down. It's called vicarious resilience. And if you'd be so kind, just... um, kind of paint a picture that can can draw us into this world and help us understand vicarious resilience. I imagine that you're working with survivors of some of life's most challenging situations. For example, therapists who deal with these populations, people who have experienced severe trauma, torture, that kind of thing. These therapists, they can actually either experience trauma themselves vicariously, or they can become more resilient through these vicarious experiences, through working with people who have experienced such trauma. So the idea is, if I'm listening to your story, whether I'm a therapist, and and this is the, the framework from which vicarious resilience grew, like Sonia mentioned, they were therapists working with victims of torture, Whether we're a mental health professional or whether we're just a person hearing someone's story, when you hear a tragic story, it can traumatize you. Vicarious trauma, as Sonia mentioned. But what the researchers found is interesting that these researchers could also experience vicarious resilience. In other words, they were actually strengthened by hearing the stories of people who were survivors. And I know this is something that uh, has touched a lot of people throughout uh, Indian country, this aspect of trauma. It's not unique to Indian country, of course. It's a global phenomenon, people suffering, people challenged. But I want to ask you a question as my listeners, and that is, when does someone's art speak most powerfully? When does their music, when does their artistic creation speak most powerfully? And maybe we'll illustrate it this way. Sonia, in 2021, 
many people throughout North America and the world were watching a popular show called America's Got Talent. And there was an artist that showed up that season, and uh, she went by the name of Nightbird. This may evoke immediate memories for many people, but for those who aren't familiar with this individual, tell us about what was so impactful about her performance. Well, this young lady was dealing with terminal cancer, staring death in the face, so to speak, and yet her outlook on life was so incredibly positive, and the song that she wrote spoke to this so powerfully that there wasn't a dry eye in the audience, I'm sure. And it was an amazing example of resilience in the face of terrible trauma. And what's so powerful about her story, as Sonia has summarized it, is it actually increased the power, I believe, of her music. So when you see a Native artist who you know has gone through tremendous difficulties, and you see a beautiful basket that that individual has woven, or you see a beautiful uh, blanket that that individual has made, or you hear a musical production, maybe it's on the flute, and you have a greater appreciation for what that person's gone through. And, and, And the point is, the point is, this can encourage us more. This can be a blessing to the community on a greater level as we say, well, wait a minute, this person has gone through all that and they're still trying to make life beautiful. They're still trying to bless us with art. They're still trying to, if you will, minister to whole people, to minister to our brain health and to minister to their own brain health. So here's one of the concluding messages from this program on the arts and the brain. And that is, don't disqualify yourself from being an artist, especially if you've gone through difficulties. The difficulties actually increase the impact of things that you give back in a cultural context. We do have to finish up again one more time. If you want to expand the dialogue, we'd love to have you join us. We are hosting a live interactive session Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. The theme is Healing Insights from the Book of Psalms. It's a springboard where you can talk about anything. You are welcome to bring your questions, your comments. Join us, timelesshealinginsights.org slash psalms. I'm Dr. David DeRose, my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad I could be here with you. And thank you, each one, for joining us on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.